0: Good morning, gentlemen. You should have received an outline on your way in. It was on the table. If you didn't get that, go ahead and grab one. And I'm going to open us up and uh, open us up in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can join together. Thank you for cooler weather and uh, just sweet season where we anticipate uh, celebrating your birth as a family as we enter into the the fall and winter season. Lord, we have much to be thankful for. We're especially thankful for Christ. We're thankful for what he has accomplished on our behalf. We're thankful for what he has provided for us, what he has given to us, and the hope that we have in him to be able to live for your glory and honor you and please you in our lives and in our conduct. And as we join together this morning, as men wake up early and make arrangements to be here, Lord, I pray that we would benefit spiritually uh, from the time, from the sacrifices that are made, Lord, that we would be strengthened in our care, particularly our care for our homes, that you would be glorified in these things, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. All right, a little bit of the roadmap for this morning. Um, but first of all, I just want to thank Tyler. He did such a great job. I was able to listen to his lesson on the attributes of God, his kind of introductory message. And uh, he just did a phenomenal job of not only putting the information in front of us, but doing so in a way that leads to worship and that's really that 's really what our knowledge of God should lead to is is submission, joyful yielding and worship and commitment to Him for his glory and for His purposes. so as we grow in our understanding of God that we would grow in our holiness and our devotion and our our faithfulness to god and I, I just thought he did a a great job of putting those things in front of us, and uh, hopefully that Information that we were able to learn and, and that shepherding that we received a couple weeks ago uh, will fuel what we're going to be talking about today, which is uh, Christ like service in our home as we embrace biblical roles. And so, what we're going to do is we're going to start out in just a moment with our uh, chronolo- chronological timeline of the Old Testament. Then, we're going to spend time in our session today looking at biblical roles and uh, the call to embrace those as God has laid them out before us and what does that mean for us as men practically in our homes and then uh, if we have some time I want to take just a little bit towards the end to just all together before we split in our groups open it up for questions and be able to just have some some dialogue together about um, embracing biblical roles about about what it looks like to be a a husband, a servant leader in our homes, and uh, and then we'll split into our small groups. So first, let's start with, oh, so as you're listening, if you have questions that come to mind, r- write them down, and there'll be, uh, obviously, you can ask questions as we're going, but if, just know that that time's coming as well, if it would be better suited for, for that uh, time towards the end. So, okay, we're going to pull out our key events of the Old Testament, and I I've been researching something because I kept looking at these dates, going, "Okay, something is something is not right within my my timeline in my head of what took place." And uh, I researched it some yesterday, and um, a lot of my resources that would speak to this are actually boxed up in a storage unit right now because I I'm, I've been shutting up my uh, office at Grace for the last six months, and. Uh, it's really close, really close. I have like two things I need to go pick up. But, um, but uh, on the Old Testament dates, it says creation, 6,000 BC. That's actually closer to 4,000 BC. So the world, we would, we would hold to a young earth. Those that hold to a young earth hold to a six to 10,000 range. But if you were to take just the, the chronology of um, Genesis 5 and map through that, and keep working through that. It, it would. It, it's. It's most likely that the world was created about four thousand years ago, and then the flood would have been about sixteen hundred years after that, and then you have Abraham a couple years after, a couple hundred years after that. And I'm. I found a couple different resources that have some dates that are a little bit different, but they're in that general time frame. And so I'm. I'm trying to find some more accurate dates for that. So anyway, I'll keep you posted. Uh, but just wanted to give you a heads up as I was looking at that. Okay, key events of the Old Testament. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to take like five minutes, three minutes, and I want you guys just to split into groups of two or three and help each other work through it. So talk through the list together. So you're, you're, you're on your own. Uh, groups of two or three, Go. All right, we're going to wrap up there. Okay, good job, guys. Good job working through that. We'll keep taking time uh, to sharpen. It'll be incredibly helpful just to have that, that flow of progression and events, key events, ingrained uh, in your mind for when you're reading through your Bible and and working through different events in the Old Testament and tracing how God worked and how God's faithfulness unfolded. So, all right, we're going to shift gears. We're going to talk about embracing biblical roles through Christlike service in the home. So first of all, I want to talk a little bit. You should be on the first page of today's outline, Discipline 2, Embracing Biblical Roles, Christlike Service in the Home. Everybody on the same page there? Perfect. We're going to start with talking about just some foundations for biblical marriage, a a couple categories. And this um, information is actually a a biblical conviction for us, how God has created man and woman, both spiritually equal before him, and yet with unique individual roles uh, in which they are to embrace and cling to and grow in faithfulness in regards to uh as their life as a believer in their life as a believer and so before we dive into that a little bit i just want to briefly talk through how, how did we get to where we are today um how come things don't just naturally fall into place hey, I can just step into my home, everything's perfect, it's easy, I know exactly what I'm supposed to do, I do it perfectly, my wife knows exactly what she's supposed to do, she does it perfectly. Well, how did we get here? Well, it it started in the garden, right? God created man, God looked at all of his creation, and um, it's, it's really interesting, before sin entered into the world, he looked at all of his creation and he said it was good, except for one part, So he looks at this, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then he says, it's not good that man should be alone. And so he makes for him a a helper suitable for him. And God makes man and woman, and both man and woman are created in God's image. Uh, There was a creative order There's not a creative spiritual priority as if one man or woman is more important or more spiritually valuable than the other. They're both man and woman created in God's image, and we see that in Genesis 1. However, man and woman both sinned against God and were separated from God by their sin. And we see that throughout all of Scripture, just the reality that man is a sinner that we are ruined by sin, that the wages of sin is death, that we've been separated from God because of our sin, that fellowship with God is no more because of our sin, that a remedy, uh, a substitute, a sacrifice, some sort of payment was necessary for mankind's sin. And not only that just the man and the woman sinned, but every single human has sinned. So it's not that we're somehow culpable for the sin of Adam, but that sinful disposition that separation from God and wanting to live for self we're we're born into that and we exercise that and are accountable for that before God and the reality is is that what God calls us to be we are hopeless in accomplishing as God intends apart from him in and of ourselves we are hopeless to be what God calls us to be in our homes in the way that God calls us to do that and the way that God calls us to function and yet we can have hope because of Christ we can have hope to honor God because of Christ because of the gospel because of what we have been brought in Christ to be freed from the slavery of sin to be given Christ's righteousness credited to our count where now we have fellowship with God, to be given a a heart that desires to glorify God, that desires to please him. If you remember the new man worksheet, we're in this mixed condition where prior we were unmixed in our sin. Now we're in this mixed condition and we actually have the capacity to not sin, to please God, to honor him, to worship him. And so wherever you're at in your in your walk as a man of God, in your marriage, in your home, in your leadership of your home, it's important to understand that each one of us is hopeless, utterly hopeless, to have a marriage that honors God, to be the man that God calls us to be, to honor God apart from him. But in him, we have a sure hope. We've been given all we need. To be able to honor him for life and godliness there's nothing that God asks of us as followers of Christ that he doesn't also enable us by the working of his spirit to be able to fulfill and so we have a great hope to honor the Lord now as you move to the next page we need to understand God's design for marriage for men and women in the marriage relationship in their union. The, the fact that there's spiritual equality and yet role differentiation. So you should be on page two of your outline. And as I said before, this is a biblical conviction. It was at Grace Bible Church, and it is for us here at Gilbert Bible now, this uh, reality of spiritual equality and role differentiation. It's, it's summarized through the term uh, complementarianism. So where you have two individuals, in a marriage relationship that complement one another within their specific roles that God has given. And so it's not that both man and wife have the same roles that they're to fulfill, but there's different roles, specific calling, specific instruction that we see in Scripture for which men and women are supposed to operate within their home. And many of you have worked through this material already, so we're just going to kind of take a twenty thousand foot flyover just to remind ourselves of of um, uh, of how this is unfolded in within our Bibles. Uh, and then we'll spend a little bit more time on the specific roles. But the the reality of spiritual equality and role differentiation is evidenced throughout all of Scripture. And if you start with the Old Testament, you see spiritual equality from the very beginning. That both men and women were created in God's image, and God's likeness. Neither one had more or less of God's image. There was no priority in regards to which one had a greater volume of the image of God or more importance in reflecting the image of God. But both man and women were created in God's image. And yet both were equally totaled by sin. It's not that man is more depraved than woman or that woman is more depraved than men being deceived by the serpent. Um, Wasn't a greater offense in the sense that now women have a greater marring of the image of God. Or when, uh, Adam's willful defiance somehow created a greater marring of the image of God for man. No, both man and women are spiritually equal before the Lord. And yet, we see role differentiation evidence throughout Scripture as well. When God creates woman, he says that he's making a helper for Man, there's different roles, and God both instructs and confronts the first human pair through the man, and so you see this authority that the man possesses as God addresses them through the man, and you see this role that God gives just in the very creation of the woman, calling her a helper for the man, and yet that order differentiation does not impact the spiritual equality. It's simply God's design for roles. The order doesn't diminish our spiritual equality. It enhances and promotes our roles. Jesus talked about these same things. He addresses these same things. Spiritual equality within man and woman. Jesus dramatically emphasized a woman's spiritual equality with man in the midst of a a woman. Uh, demeaning Greek, Roman, and even Jewish culture. Jesus used illustrations frequently familiar to and useful for women. He also revealed himself to women. He allowed women to touch him and to interact with him. And all of those things were extremely counter-cultural in Jesus' day and age. And so Jesus, in fact, did go against the cultural norms in how he interacted with women, but he never spoke against the roles that God had designed for men and women within, within their uh, homes, within their um, functioning in really in this world. So Jesus allows women to travel with him and his disciples after his resurrection. He revealed himself to a woman. Um, these types of things were just unprecedented for that culture and, and that time. And yet Jesus didn't do anything to exalt women outside of the role that God has given them. And that's, a, that's important to recognize as well, that God didn't place women in spiritual authority or, or leadership over men. He went against the cultural norms. And if that was on his mind or his heart to also go against the cultural norms in regards to roles, he could have done that but he didn't. And so while he went against cultural norms in elevating uh, to the right place the spiritual importance of women, he did not go against the cultural norms in changing the roles of which women were to have uh, within, within society and within the home. So Jesus affirms what Scripture had taught already, that women are spiritually equal with men. Um, before God. He elevated that in his day to, to its proper place, and yet he also functioned within the role differentiation that God designed. The New Testament, the rest of the New Testament, so now we're on page three of your outline. Page three of your outline, in the New Testament, we see the same thing, spiritual equality. Women are spiritual equals with men in in redemption. Gender was not taken into account when God designed and carried out redemption through Jesus' atoning work. Salvation is available to both men and women in the same manner. It's not that salvation is available to men and it's kind of over here for women. No, Men and women are both in need of salvation and it's offered to both. In fact, in, uh, in, in within Scripture, 1 Peter 3, wives were to be viewed by their husbands as fellow heirs of the grace of life. In fact, you are to interact with your wife, acknowledging that she's a fellow heir of the grace of God, of the grace of life. Yet in the New Testament, we do see time and time again that there is a distinct role differentiation. Paul uh, under no less inspiration of the Holy Spirit than in the preceding verses defines different roles for men and women both in the church and in the Christian home and he gives that to us in several different places and we're going to look at some of these in just a few moments as we few moments as we unpack the specific roles that God has called men and women to. And so as sinful Genders who've come to taste God's glory and his, his salvific work through the cross of Christ, we actually see something wonderful, exalted, beautiful about God as we embrace the, the roles that God has given us. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more when we look at Ephesians 5. But embracing our biblical roles hinders nothing that is good or honoring to the Lord. You miss out, your wife misses out on nothing good when you embrace the roles that God has given in the way that God calls us to. And so what are those roles that we're to look at? Well, we're going to look at that now. The man's role in the home and the woman's role in the home. And what I want to start with you guys is we're going to, it's important to cover both. Um, even though we're, we're going to spend more time on the man's role, it's important to understand the woman's role because Listen, in your spiritual leadership and your sacrificial Christ-like leadership of your home, you need to understand what God calls your wife to so that you can lead her towards that, so that you can love her in a way that helps her, helps her embrace that role that God has given her. So first, let's start with women's role in the home. So you should have skipped a page. And we're together on women's role in the home. We're gonna spend a little bit of time here and then we're going to um, spend a little bit more time on the men's role in the home. Before I, before I do that, put a lot of information out there. We covered a huge span very quickly. Any questions on spiritual equality and just the idea of role differentiation? Not yet the specific roles, we're gonna talk about that, but just the, the biblical viewpoint or concept of spiritual equality between man and woman and yet role differentiation. Excellent. All right, women's role in the home. First, we see from the very beginning that God calls women um, a helper for man. Look at Genesis 2. We're going to jump around here a little bit. So, if you're taking notes, your first note would be a helper. That's the first kind of thing you could write under women's role. In the home, a helper, and we see that in Genesis two. And as I mentioned, I referenced this verse earlier. Genesis two eighteen reads: Then Yahweh God said, "It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable suitable for him." And God goes on to create the woman. The woman's role in relationship to a man in the home, as a, in a husband and wife relationship is she's called to be a helper for him just through her very identity. God's purpose and why he created woman alongside of man was to provide for him a helper, someone to come alongside to aid him, that he wouldn't be alone, that there wouldn't be a a loneliness. But as he applied himself to the tasks that God put before him, there would be someone alongside of him to be a helper for him. The next heading we're going to look at is Submission to husband, woman's role in the home. It demands, God demands this. He commands it that a woman is subject to her husband. You can turn to Ephesians 5. You can turn to Ephesians 5, and I'll give you a couple other references as well. So Ephesians 5 22, 24, and then she's called to respect her husband in verse 33. We also see this call for women to submit to their husband in Colossians 3.18. So Ephesians 5, 22, 24, and 33. Colossians 3.18, Titus 2, 4, and 5, and 1 Peter three one. So... Ephesians 5, Colossians 3.18, Titus 2, 4, and 5, and 1 Peter 3.1. And I want to look at Ephesians 5 just for a little bit together. So Ephesians 5 verse 22 says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. A specific call for the wife to submit to her husband. To be subject, to be under, to come underneath. And then you look at verse 24 But as the church is subject to Christ, so just so as to not be clear as to what this is exactly to look like or or what Paul means here, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Again, wives are called to submit to their husbands' authority and leadership in the home. And then if you jump back to verse 33, nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband this respect is is, is a reverential fear and, and not like she's afraid of what her husband might do but there is a an eagerness or a zeal inside of her to want to come under and be a support or a ser- a servant to not as like a slave but a, but one who serves her husband and is in subjection to him, is under his authority, is under his leadership and, and his care and his oversight within the home. Women are also to be lovers of their husband and their children. So what else is their role? Their role is to be a helper. Their role is to be in subjection or, or to submit submission to their husband or subjection to their husband. And in Titus 2, women are called to love their husbands and their children. In fact, older women are called specifically to train up younger women to do these things. Turn to Titus 2. We're going to spend just a little bit of time in Titus as it puts forth just really helpful instruction for functioning within the home. But in Titus 2, verse 4, Paul says, so that they may instruct the young women. So this is older women. We'll start at verse 3 actually. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. What is good? Well, so that they may instruct the young women to be to insensibility, to love their husbands, to love their children. And then he goes on to be sensible, pure, workers in the home, which we'll talk about in just a moment, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be slandered. A lot is actually at stake in a woman's embracing the role that God has given her. Her obedience to this instruction actually has a bearing on the public integrity of the word of God, that God's word wouldn't be slandered. So, What does it mean to love your husband and love your children? Well, for a wife to love her husband, she needs to not only do what her husband calls her to or be what she's called to be within her home, but there's actually to be affection there in the heart rooted that is giving of self in in care and service and love for your spouse. So a woman is not simply to be subject to her husband only or not simply to be a a helper, but a woman is actually to love her husband, to come under that leadership with self-giving expressions of care for her spouse. And she's to love her children as well. And, And this is really crucial. When you think about your role within the home in caring for your wife, she's called to love you don't make it unnecessarily difficult <laughs> right and, and we laugh but we do that <laughs> we make it unnecessarily difficult for our wives to love us don't don't make unnecessary obstacles for your wife to embrace her role as a mother with your children in her love and care and nurturing of your children and so thinking about these things okay my wife is called to be a helper how are you intentionally praying for and intentionally seeking to enable her in her role of coming alongside and helping you in your home. When you think about your wife's call to submit to you, how is your leadership exerted in a way that's winsome and helpful? Expressing love and care for her to where it's 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 a blessing for her to submit to your leadership, not a burden. We're going to talk about this more when we talk about the husband's leadership in the home to be like Christ like leadership. What does Christ tell others in regards to his leadership? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you. He's, uh, his leadership is, is not burdensome, it's not heavy. His yoke is light. And that comes because he he's committed to our good and he loves us and he cares for us. So a lover of husband and children, and also we see in Titus that women are called to be workers in the home. Titus 2, 4, and 5. We looked at that just a second ago. Be sensible, pure, workers at home. A woman, a woman should be faithful in her home. That's what she's called to. That's what that's what scripture puts before for a woman's role in the home, to be faithful, a faithful worker in the home. What does it mean to be a worker in the home? To tend to the things pertaining to the home. Keeping the home, caring for children, helping her husband. Is this a command that all women must be the ones that do the laundry in the marriage relationship? No. (laughs) May that actually be what happens? Sure, but... We need to be careful to not impose what we want a woman being a worker in the home to be, to be what our wives must be, okay? So what when we think through being a worker in the home, care for the children, serve you, help you in life. Oftentimes, that looks like helping keep the house, helping clean the house, helping fix dinner, doing shopping. Does that mean that's her role to do each of those things? Well, maybe as you guys have worked through that and discussed what what things should look like in your home. But this isn't like a, a strict line where your role in the home is I have my area over here and my wife has her, you know, I go work 10 hours a day, eight hours a day, six hours a day, 15 hours a day, whatever it might be for you on any given day. And then my wife's job is to do these things in the home. She needs to be faithful and she needs to be a worker in the home, but that isn't a call for her to do everything that's required to maintain a home. Um, you need to eat, be eager to come and be a servant in the home and, and care for her and help, that, help her with those things. But she is to be faithful in the home. So what are the needs of your home? Are they being accomplished? Is your wife being faithful in those things? Those are questions we should be pondering. Additional considerations. Well, Proverbs 31 Verses 10 through 31 set forth just a, an esteemed woman. This woman is faithful in the home. She's caring for children. She's working with her hands. She's active in the marketplace. She's a glory to her husband in in the public setting, a crown for him in, in many ways. And so that's that, those are the general categories that we see uh, when we look at scripture in regards to a woman's role in the home. Any questions on that? You guys are too easy. Let's jump back to man's role in the home. We're going to spend a little bit of time here now. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. The first title uh, or first point is provider. A man is called to be a provider in the home. 1 Timothy 5, 8. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's a pretty strong statement about a man's role as the provider of the home. Now, what does it mean to be a provider? Okay, we're to work, we're to exert ourselves for whatever. I mean, it, it could be money or it could be rent or provisions, but, but our responsibility is to make sure that our family has adequate food, clothing to function in this world in a manner that you can honor the Lord and serve him. To provide is not subject to some sort of um, standard of living. You need to be, you know, blue collar, white collar, whatever. It, <laughs> it's it's not that you need to be able to send your kids to out-of-state colleges or else you're worse than an unbeliever. No, you need to be a faithful worker and provider to care for the needs of your family. Those needs are, are very um, basic. What we need to be able to live for the Lord and have a family that's pleasing to the Lord and able to function in society is, is very basic. I mean, but that's not a permission to either be lazy and provide the bare minimum and hey, I'm, f- I'm fulfilling my calling. It's also not fuel to only exert yourself towards provision, make millions of dollars and neglect the other roles that God calls you to in the home. And so you are called to be a provider. You're not called to idolize your work. You're called to be a provider. You're not called to be selfish in what job you choose to do. You're called to be a provider. You're called to be a provider, to, to work hard, to exert yourself for the provision of your family. For a lazy man who doesn't care to provide or one who um, neglects this role, it, it's a reproach. For, for a man who doesn't work, it's, it's a reproach. For a man who works hard, loses a job, go finds another job, works three part-time jobs, you are not dishonoring the Lord because you may not have the salary that you once did. But if you refuse to work and exert yourself to provide for your family, or if you're a poor employee and you get fired from ever from every job you go to because you're just unfaithful, yes. That's, that's a shame. That's a shame for that one. Provider. You're also called to show honor to your wife. Uh, turn to First Peter three. Show honor to your wife. First Peter three verse seven. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. Okay, so just listen. That's that's a call right there to show honor. You could also put slash live in an understanding way. Um, Live in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Again, embracing these roles that God calls us to is spiritually consequential. To, To neglect your role in the home, to not show honor towards your wife, to not be understanding with her actually hinders your prayers as you uh, neglect what God calls you to be and and, and in essence, live in sin. You're to honor your wife, to care for her. She's a fellow heir of the grace of God. Think about that. Um, Your compassion and care and consideration for your wife is directly tied to the fact that Jesus died for her sins and made her an heir of Christ. So to treat her as one that Hasn't been saved by God's grace that that um, to treat her as if she wasn't valuable enough to um, be considered in that way or or shown that kind of love. Not that that's not the right way to say that. To to treat her as if um, as if she's unlovable or or not to be valued as your spouse is is a shame as well. You're called to honor her, to love her. To care for her, to be understanding, to be considerate, and when you think about your leadership role, if you're if you're living with someone in an understanding way in your leadership role, you're not dominating them with your demands. You must do this. You must do this. Well, honey, this no, no, no. You need to just be what God calls you to be, right? Th- there's no room for that. You're if you're living with someone in an understanding way, what do you need to do? You need to listen. You need to hear them. You need to, to know their strengths and their weaknesses and help accommodate and care for them and their weaknesses and help them thrive in their strengths. To show honor to your wife. Also called to love your wife. And we looked at that before from Ephesians 5, but let's go back to that. Ephesians 5, 25. 25. Ephesians five, twenty-five. husbands, love your wives. And here's the standard, just so that there's no misunderstanding. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. When you think about role differentiation and one of submission and leadership, this command to love your wife is absolutely crucial, and the example or standard of that command being found in Christ's leadership of the church is absolutely essential to to fix your mind on these things, that that leadership isn't one predominantly of demands for self-serving purposes. There's just no room for that. There's nothing Nothing that you are to demand of your wife for selfish desires. That would not be Christ like service, Christ like leadership in the home. Christ's leadership was expressed through humility, self giving, self sacrificing care for the church. And yes, there are things that Christ calls the church to be, but there's nothing that he calls the church to that he hasn't expressed in his own obedience to the Father a willingness to do for the good of his church. Is there anything that you have been unwilling to do for the good of your wife? Are there any limitations? Are there any demands or degrees of service or faithfulness that you demand of your wife that you're unwilling to do within your home? It should be the opposite. There should be no depth, depths of humble service that you haven't dove into first within your home. The chief servant. Your exertion of your leadership should be expressed through a self-giving, uh, intentional interest and commitment to the good of those in your home. Well, what else? Your role is to be embraced through not being embittered towards your wife. We see this in the parallel passage in Colossians. Colossians 3. Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love your wives. So there you see that command again to love your wives. And then you see an interesting prohibition. And do not be embittered against them. That may seem like a passing statement. Oh yeah, of course I'm not going to be bitter towards my wife. That is so monumental in aiding your love for your wife and your care for your household. God knows what he's doing when he gives us instructions. And he doesn't give us instructions that are just kind of out there for a select few. We all, we all at times are tempted towards embitterment towards our wives. And this can come in a lot of different ways. This can come through a child needing their diaper changed at 2 a.m. and your wife is just not waking up fast enough and you get up and you're stomping. Doesn't she know I have a 6 a.m. meeting tomorrow and she's just laying there? What is she going to do all day? (laughs) Horrible thoughts, right? Or let's say you desire intimacy and your wife doesn't and you're disgruntled against her. Here we go again. I tried to serve her. I tried to care if she wasn't interested. And you feel embittered in your hearts. Maybe you justify other sins, immoralities, impurities out of your embitterment towards her. I came home from working all day and the house is a mess. Can I just get a little peace and quiet? Can you occupy the kids a little bit more? I mean, these statements may seem, maybe I'm the only one who's ever heard these statements before or thought these statements. Uh, th- th- this call to not be embittered is, actually takes tremendous self-control and heart shepherding and is monumental in your sacrificial leadership in your home. To step in your home as one who is eager to serve, not as one who feels an entitlement, is absolutely crucial in your exertion of your spiritual leadership in the home. Men are also called to be leaders of their children. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And it's interesting in Ephesians 5 and then going into the first few verses of chapter 6, where God is really giving some specific instruction for uh, conduct within the family relationships as well as uh, master-slave relationships, uh, he draws attention and he specifically calls out fathers here. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but in contrast, contrast to provoking them to anger, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You need to be a leader in the care for your children in your home. Yes, your wives are to care for for the children and tend to the children and and they're to be nurturers and and caretakers and and servants as they embrace their role as a mom in the home. They're to love their children. But but men, you need to set the tone spiritually for the care of your children. You need to be actively involved in what your expectations are in your home for your children and your care. Children. And you need to be one who brings discipline into the home and brings instruction into the home, okay? We we made it a practice that if I was home, I did the disciplining. So obviously my wife would discipline our children when I was gone, but if I was home, I provided the discipline. I was the primary instructor. I think that's appropriate. I don't think it's a mandate that every single time it must be that way, but if you find yourself going, honey, they're, they're not doing it again. You need to go spank them. Um, let's talk about that. Um, I, I, I'd love to have a conversation. Why? Why are you choosing to do that? Uh, I think God actually calls the man to set the spiritual tone in the home, to provide that spiritual leadership. And that needs to come through your active participation. And if nothing else, your wife has been, if you have young children, She's been tending to those children all day, over and over again, addressing the same issue. Serve your wife. (laughs) Take take the load off of her. Care for your children. Let them hear the same things that your wife is instructing them from from you. Care for your children that way. And listen, it can be hard. You come home, you've had a full day, and you've got, I I think on one occasion, we had the, the disciplined turkey Uh, where all three kids needed discipline when I came in the door usually it's just one maybe two but uh, we had a a small window where they were kind of all in that age and uh, and you got to be ready you got to be ready to step into those situations and you've got to be in the right frame of mind to do so not as a uh, um, authoritarian just inflicting Punishments, but as one who's instructing and disciplining towards godliness, your children, bringing them up in the instruction of the Lord. Now, as we kind of wrap up this discussion, I, I want you to turn to First Corinthians eleven. First <clears throat> Corinthians eleven three is such a helpful verse. Paul says he's going to just set forth the the order of things in regards to roles. He says, I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and that the man is the head of woman, that God is the head of Christ. Okay, this is really important. If you look in the middle, you've got the expression of the, the roles of man being the head of woman. Okay, that's a role differentiation. Not, not talking about spiritual importance, but just role. To be the head is one of authority and direction, leadership. Okay, uh, to, to be under the head, to have a head means you're in subjection to that one. There's a, a submission to that one. And so in the middle of this verse, you've got <clears throat> the reality that the man is the head of the woman. However, at the beginning, Paul wants them to understand that Christ is the head of every man. Okay? So, the authority over man is Christ. Who must man look to to see most clearly godly modeled authority? Christ. Excellent. Okay. At the end of verse 3, you see God is the head of of Christ. Who should a woman look to to see the most godly exemplary expression of biblical subjection? Christ. Okay, Christ both assumes a role of authority over the church, over man, and he assumes a role of subjection. Unto the, unto the Father. And we saw this in Philippians too, right? How he humbled himself taking on the form of flesh, he was obedient to the Father to the point of death. And Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane pleads with the Father and yet says, "Not my will, but yours be done." There was a humble subjection in his role. And so as we think about embracing our biblical role in the home, who do you most need to fix your eyes on? Christ. What is his leadership like? He went to the cross. How are you crucifying yourself for the sake of your home? All of your desires, all of your wants, all of your preferences. Maybe it's career aspirations that you need to set aside to be a servant in your home. Maybe it's hobbies you need to be restrained in regards to. Maybe it's possessions that you want and things that you like, gadgets you enjoy having that you need to set aside for the sake of being a servant in your home. Maybe it's time, maybe it's energy, maybe it's recreational preferences. My wife likes this, my kids like this. Uh, Listen, your hobbies, if you have children in the home, your hobbies should be whatever your children enjoy. It, it just should because you should be spending time with your children. Don't run away from your families to go do the things you like. Um, choose to like the things your family enjoys and be with them. Be a presence in your home. Care for them. And for women, help your wives look to Christ. She's never going to be positioned better to come under your authority than when she is continually or consistently fixing her eyes on Christ. And so help care for your wife that way. All right, we have a couple minutes. Um, What questions do you guys have? -hmm. Like yeah, how do you navigate that? So there's there's several factors that need to be taken into account when you're thinking through capacity. How much should I be working? um, I need to be faithful. Uh, Some men impose on themselves a degree of faithfulness in their home, and they elevate that faithfulness above also the faithfulness that they should be considering in their care for their family as well. So it's like, well, I have to provide and I have to be faithful and my boss is unreasonable in their demands. And so I'm going to work 80 hour weeks perpetually. Um, And that's probably rooted in some, some wrong thinking. There's, there's a few different things to take into account. There's not a, a, a direct line of here's how you should quantify things. Why? Because every man's capacity is going to be different. Every man's efficiency is going to be different. Every wife's, every family need, every wife's capacities and needs and, and are going to be different. Even her preferences are going to be different within the home. Season of life, how many children do you have? What season of life are they in? Listen, we had kids who required very little time as, as infants um, tending to. They slept well. We had other who didn't sleep so well, and was more taxing physically on the family. So it's not it's not cut and dry, but really a, a heart motivation are there idols. Most guys that are working too much have a, an idolatry of either, um, they don't wanna fail in their job, or they wanna please their boss, or they want the next promotion, or they're not satisfied with their current income level. Um, you know that in that case, it's not so much how much they're working, but it's it's their heart that they need to address in that situation. Um, uh, sometimes you might find your job easier than the demands of your home, or more comfortable, and so you pour yourself into that and find excuses as to why. Well, I'm just trying to be faithful, but in your heart, you actually just don't want to be faithful in your home. Well, that's something to be addressed. So it's not it's not necessarily the specific time, but the heart that's rooted in it. And if you and and also recognizing that you're you're working in your employment uh to to honor the Lord. And so if your boss, there there are absolutely companies and bosses that they want to squeeze everything out of their employee and they will guilt you into performance and and, and you might have to say at some point, listen, this is what I have to give, and if it's not a good fit for what the expectations of this company are, I, I'm happy to look elsewhere. I really want this job, um, but I'm not going to be able to do this job in the manner that's going to be best for the company if my family's falling apart. And, and so, you know, it, every situation is going to be nuanced and different, but... Um, Contemplating the the hard issues, what's driving this, and and rooting those out first, will be an incredible aid in kind of seeing how things fall, and then going from there, you know. And and some of that, you know, I, I I've known uh, men who their wives would call them like as soon as something popped into their head at home, their wife would call them, and be like, oh, I just had a quick question, and there had to be some discussion like. Hey, if it's important, like urgent. I, I know when, uh, when I started working from home after COVID, I, Julie and I just had to have a conversation, like I'm accessible and you have things that pop in your head and it's easy to ask me, but the way that I work efficiently is in like spurts. And if my spurt gets interrupted, it breaks my flow of thought. And so a three minute or 30 second interruption can set me back 10 minutes of efficiency. And so I'm like, hey, if it's really important, come interrupt me. But if it's just pops into your head, just write it down and I'll be up getting water in twenty five minutes and then ask me at that, you know, when I take my headphones off. So she kinda knew if I had my headphones off. And so just having that kind of communication can be really helpful in, in setting expectations with, with your spouse as well. Please. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good. Any other questions, comments? Part of your Christ-like sacrificial service in the home, it it, it requires setting the tone spiritually in the home, uh, devotions, instructing towards the Lord, um, prioritizing church prioritizing fellowship, how does that fit within the needs of your family, capacities of the family, seasons of your family? If if, you're, if your family sees you compromising biblical fellowship and interaction or instruction within the body of Christ, at the easiest things, you're modeling and you're leading them in a specific direction. If it's a priority, if it's a point of emphasis, if it's uh, part of conversation uh, on... Breakfast on Sunday morning after you sleep in from a uh, exhilarating night of corporate worship on Friday, on Saturday um, to say, hey, what, you know, ask your kids on the drive home, ask your kids in the morning, what did you learn in class? What did you learn? Um, set the tone the, the Deuteronomy six, letting letting there be a spiritual aroma in your home as you're the initiators of those things. Don't make your wife beg you to do family devotions. That's it. What a sweet gift for a wife to desire that. Don't make her beg you. Make it a priority. We make all sorts of things priorities in our life. Um, make sure the, the most important ones are, are there. So, All right, let me close our time and uh, we'll split into groups. Heavenly Father, thank you for your wisdom. Your wisdom is far above uh, all else. It's unsearchable. And in your wisdom, you have given to us specific roles and uh, those are good they're to be embraced and help us to be faithful in them and while there's many many ways that uh, embracing these roles can be expressed lord i pray that there would be faithfulness and and, and eagerness in embracing them and that you would give discernment for these men and what that may look like in the current season that they find themselves in and and with the wives and children that you've given to them. And Lord, we pray that you would be glorified and honored in this. And Lord, as we are matured, uh, we know that is is only for our good to be conformed more into Christ's likeness. So we just pray that you would do that work, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.